Hello, and welcome to Commerce Confidential. I'm your host, Randy Cole. Content is everywhere. In fact, you're consuming some right now. And when it comes to commerce, the proliferation of channels and customer touch points means that brands and businesses are under ever more pressure to create more and better content to reach their customers at the right time with the right message. So, how do brands scale their content creation efforts without sacrificing quality? What's the importance of creating channel-specific content? And where does the hype around content-generating AIs begin and end? For answers to these and other questions, I'm joined by my special guest, Alexis Brunning, Director of Content Strategy at Wonderman Thompson Commerce and Technology. Alexis brings almost two decades of experience on both the agency and brand side, so I'm excited to have her on the show. Alexis, welcome to Commerce Confidential. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. You know, we have a lot to cover, so we'll just jump right into it. And we'll start big and we'll kind of narrow it down from there. So, you know, everyone knows what content is, or at least they have an idea. But for those that aren't a little more unfamiliar, what does the practice of content strategy encompass? So I describe content strategy as the principle of marketing and merchandising with the considerations of uh, planning and developing assets, content governance and management thinking about content syndication, and then layering in performance measurement. Okay. Makes perfect sense. So when it comes to working with the many different brands we do work with, how do you determine which KPIs you're after and what are the most important metrics to measure when you think of it in terms of content? There's a lot to consider when you're thinking about KPIs and content. I think that the first thing is to remember that you know content influences overall sales metrics for the brand. Um, but it's really hard to measure how it directly impacts sales. Uh, so we do pay really close attention to search and conversion rates. And it makes a lot of sense to really be aware of sales KPIs, things like, you know, what's your average order value, sales, conversion rates, orders, those types of direct metrics that sales will impact. But then we're also going to be aware of things like traffic, uh, visits, glance views, those type of KPIs. But at the end of the day, content impacts it, but it can't always be exactly responsible for those type of KPIs. We work really closely with our media team and we know, you know, where they're sending traffic to specific pages. So we're going to work to optimize those pages ahead of other ones. So that's why we are really informed of traffic metrics. And with our uh, account teams and sales and promotional activities, we're going to be aware of temple events that come up in any specific content and holiday messaging. So that's where we need to be really informed of any sales activities and metrics that happen there. And then with supply chain, our operations team has a really good line of sight and knows when, you know, stock things are happening. If items are coming in and out of stock, we are going to optimize content for in-stock items over things that are running out of stock so that we can prioritize content accordingly there. Some other things that we are measuring um, with KPIs is really sentiment. It's not something that you can just set and forget when you're considering sentiment. We monitor ratings and reviews all the time. 
We understand, you know, how products and brands are understood by consumers. Uh, what are their hangups? Where are they not understanding how items work? Or if something arrives damaged, we can let the supply chain know. Those are the types of things that we're looking for in ratings and reviews. So we do report on that back to brands and we chart those and look for trends over time. And that is something that we can then optimize our content for long-term. And then we also have content health scorecarding, and that will give us a bird's eye view into a quantitative scoring uh, for content. So we look at things like images, bullets, titles, and overall best practice uh, for retailers to understand how their content is scored against competitors to really understand what is functioning well and where we can then go in and improve content and really optimize uh, over time. Wow. So that's a little more complex than I think a lot of people would think on the surface. So there's a lot of things to measure. And part of something you said earlier in, in the answer is part of it's out of your control because site performance, the information architecture, the overall UX of the site impacts how people perceive the content. So great content without all of those elements together, you know, doesn't have the impact it otherwise would. But when you can measure all these different details and, and tweak, and it just seems like it's an iterative, ongoing process. So kind of drilling down one level further, the old saying is, you know, consumers often require multiple touch points with a brand before engaging or converting, you know, and I've heard the magic number being seven or something like that. So how can brands use content or different forms of content to influence conversion? So really where I, I want to focus is how to make sure that content is discoverable. Brands should always make sure that content is one of the major influencers within that conversion funnel. Within the digital shelf, content is unique. It is your opportunity to make sure that your brand is different and it can stand out and break through the noise within the category. You don't have the chance or the opportunity on a digital shelf to let the consumer touch and feel your product. So how are you going to do that? You're going to do that with titles that stand out and make the most of a character limit and use keywords in a very specific way. You're going to make sure that your images do all of the things that they need to do. They're going to use infographics and clearly call out any specifications, weights, dimensions, answer the questions that consumers are going to have about your specific product, whether it's tangible, if it's answering, how does it feel on your skin or is it heavy? Really, you know, those things that are going to make it something that customers can feel and experience, even though it's a two-dimensional image. And then the written copy, so that you're answering the questions that they're they're not even knowing that they're asking, um, you can answer with written content. And then sprinkling in those keywords uh, so that it shows up and it can be discoverable through search, but also being cognizant of not overloading and you know, keyword stuffing, which is not a good consumer experience and not something that we would ever recommend. Um, but you can definitely see those PDPs when you're on different websites that have the habit of doing that. And it just doesn't lend for a good consumer experience. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, it's 
using content to you know eliminate barriers to purchase and driving that consumer one step closer to you know hitting the buy button or at least investigating to find out more about the brand and engaging later. Exactly. Excellent. So you know channels, you know digital channels at least are just proliferating everywhere. Are there different approaches to content strategy and creation for you know owned commerce sites, the dot com versus marketplaces like an Amazon versus all the traditional retailers that are now you know in e-commerce and have their own retail media networks, et cetera, et cetera? I, I think that there is a definite difference and it's really about how you understand those audiences. So on an owned.com site, a brand can really choose their approach to the tone and voice of the content because they're the brand and, and they can own that experience. An omni-channel approach is going to be more in tune and in touch with the retailer. If you're on a large target.com website, their experience and how they engage with their audience is going to be a little bit different than how Walmart is going to be in touch with their audience that is going to be more price sensitive and even different than how an audience is going to engage with the product and in the experience on Amazon. So all of that is a different audience. And that means that our content is going to have to speak a bit different to them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to create something completely different for each of these experiences, but you do have to understand what those audiences are expecting for those different retailers and be able to tailor it for those experiences. So the retailers are going to have different expectations and different best-in-class expectations, and that's where we can deliver those criteria for you know whether it's titles, images, and, and we can prioritize content accordingly. Makes perfect sense. So kind of doubling down on you know, the proliferation of channels, as channels grow, so do content needs. What are the biggest challenges to creating content at scale? I think that the biggest challenges of creating content at scale is really understanding what those content needs are at a micro level. So if you take a look at you know what you need for a SKU, it can be overwhelming. You can say, well, for one SKU, I need seven images, I need a title, I need five bullet points, I need a product description, that seems like a lot. And then you have to multiply it by X number of SKUs for my entire product catalog. It's too much. It doesn't have to be that way. You can think about it more logistically and be strategic with the content needs and think about a reusable system so that you can think smartly about the assets that you have at your disposal. And what can you reuse uh, so that you can be more strategic in your approach to it and then scale it so that if a image needs to be recolored, that that is the approach that you take so that it just falls into line nicely. Got it. So, you know, when we talk about scale, let's talk about something that's kind of been buzzy and tearing up the headlines, at least, you know, a lot of clickbait out there, but let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is AI. Very broadly, any initial thoughts on AI as it relates to content? So I think AI is intriguing. I, you know, I think it can help with some heavy lifting with content creation, but I don't think that it's necessarily the end all be all for content creation. I think that consumers are really savvy and I think that they're able to suss out where it has been artificially created. I think that consumers are 
human centric and they are going to connect with content imagery and copy that feels like they can connect with brands that have that human point of view and the ones that feel phony and artificial. And you know exactly those PDPs on those big dot coms that have those. Those are the ones that you tend to pass right by because they don't feel genuine. They don't connect with the human. And there's something just very artificial about it, um, which I guess is really what that AI content is all about. It it becomes very generic. Sure. I'll say AI, I'm going to little host aside here. This is why we can't have nice things. So, you know, it's just going to be exploited by a lot of players. And I think we're going to see proliferation of very low quality content like there was in the SEO space in the you know early days of Google when it was just quantity over quality. On the other side of it, I could also see AI blowing up the traditional search model, which is a page of semi-relevant results surrounded by paid advertising. If AI is going to get you a single answer that completely you know recreates the paradigm of search and what that might be, do you trust the answer? It's another whole other conversation. But I really see there could be you know some massive implications that could disrupt how people are discovering and engaging with content. And you know, that'll bring me to my follow-up question. So, you know, some players in the industry, both in the commerce space and in the media in general, um, I'm gonna name a name here, CNET, which rolled out a bunch of AI content at the end of last year without fully disclosing it. A lot of it riddled with factual errors that are pretty, pretty basic, and they've been called out on that. So, you know, that's early days. It'll get better, of course, but, you know, some brands have already leaned in heavily into AI-generated content. How do you see this playing out? You know, will there be a hybrid model in the future state or what What can we expect, do you think? I would expect in the future state, you know, that there is some type of a hybrid model. But like I said, I, I do think that human-centric is where content is always going to land for that best practice and best in class. Because where people are really going to want to engage is with brands that feel like they understand the consumer and the audience. If they are answering the questions before the consumer has even asked them, if they have really snappy images that feel very creative and engaging and can connect with the audience, then that's exactly where it's going to be. But a hybrid approach for, you know, content is is likely where it will continue to evolve over time just because of the amount of e-commerce growth that we've seen over over time and where we expect it to grow in the future. Absolutely. And I think we also have to consider the tech hype cycle. You know, it's early days yet for this AI. It's been a little buzzy, but I can remember 10 years ago, some certain CEO was touting that drones would be delivering our packages within the year. And that was 2013 and it's still beta here and there. So I think we have a long way to go between, you know, where people want it to be and where it might be a a decade from now. So of course, only time will tell. Exactly. Uh, well, with that, you know, Alexis, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you, you know, coming on Commerce Confidential. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. That brings us to the end of another episode of Commerce Confidential. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a moment to like and subscribe to the podcast. Your clicks are free, but to us, they're priceless. Commerce Confidential is a Wonderman Thompson Commerce and Technology production. Production support by Fiona Jessup. Editorial support, Betsy Stewart. Original music by Adam Lee Murphy. Thanks, Adam. And I'm still your host, Randy Cole. We hope to intersect with you soon on the next episode of Commerce Confidential. And in the meantime...